Welcome back to the Twin Geekcast 142. We're here with our friend Mirth, and it's David and I, as usual. We're the first podcast makers for the king, as uh, the website's <laughs> called, as the podcast is called. Uh, this is a new thing we're doing here. We're going through directors' filmographies, and uh, we'll go through a bunch of them each show instead of just one per show. Uh, instead of one um, singular film a show, we'll be looking at multiple films. Yeah, lo- longer... Uh you know, in, endeavors uh, to cover wider filmographies and, and kind of one goes and get a, a wider retrospective in one. And for, for Christmas here, since that's when we're choosing to start this, we're going with the, the, the classics. We are ranking Rankin-Bass, the, the, the lovable stop-motion Christmas specials that we all saw on TV growing up, uh, and the ones that we didn't see as well, because they did a number of them that have kind of been forgotten or were never really seen uh, at least, you know, I certainly never came across them until digging into the box sets a little bit more and, and find a little further. And you know, we'll, you won't we'll find if... them on Twenty Five Days of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not as beloved. We'll say. <laughs> and I just wanted to call something Rankin, Rankin, and Bass forever. So well, that's we, my we, prerogative. We, we've talked about doing it for uh, a few years now, I think, because we've had an endearment to these, at least the, the classic ones that we've known, and of of course. Uh, Murph has his uh, history that he's very knowledgeable on on these uh, films as well. And, you know, uh, we talked a bit about uh, Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass back on the, the Benevolent Halloween episode when we covered Mad Monster Party. But uh, this is obviously their, their wider known work and hopefully, um, you know, the ones who will find more enjoyment in too. <laughs> well, we'll see about today. There, there might be a yeah. range of quality. It, it, well, it's going to be interesting to see how it, evolved as they went along because uh there are, there's you know there are, there are peaks and valleys yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the way we've laid it out i think smartly do, doing the chronological order is that we'll get those peaks and valleys in each episode i i think it's just interesting in general for for chronological as well because we're going to get to see how it kind of went along and how it developed or regressed even in some instances yeah <laughs> how they how they bounced back from despair or <laughs> how they mm-hmm. they kind of kept it the same i don't know it, it's it's an interesting endeavor and we're starting with the first five today uh, along with a little bit of a, a sixth one i guess in the beginning and the, 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 the story each, starts a little earlier <laughs> the end of each episode we'll come in and rank each of them like we'll we'll rank our first grouping then we'll add to that the next one kind of like our ranking the monster show so we'll have an ongoing rank of ranking and bass we're, this is this is your definitive take here for these Christmas specials. Nobody else is mm-hmm. out here covering all of them. Certainly, I don't of know course. if anyone, yeah. anyone's covered all of them. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it's the first time hearing of it. Murph, what, uh, what really brings you here? What brings me here? Yes, uh, I am here because, uh, like many things, this is my area of expertise. <laughs> um, I, I I love. Rankin Bass specials. Um, I, I own most of them on DVD and try to work at least in a vast majority over Christmas. Because, uh, you know, they've got some classics and then they've got some forgettable ones and then they've got ones that are fun to spring on your friends at 3 a.m. <laughs> I, I think we certainly learned about a couple of those last year when you first brought them into our lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So, so most of these I have seen. There's one in episode two, which I had never heard of before. Okay. So that's exciting. So you didn't um, own that one. You hadn't heard of it. 
Yeah, so, and, and I do I do know a bit about the production and such. Um, mm. it's, it's called Rankin and Bass because um, Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. And then there's sort of a third party who's never quite credited uh, who's and his the animation name's, director. His name's And, which makes it very confusing. Rankin <laughs> and Bass. He gets he's left the, out uh, of he's the, consideration. He's the slash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's Tadahito Mochinaga, who I just want to give a shout out for, because he's kind of the one that came up with the um, the Rankin and Bass stop motion style. They called it Animagic. Yeah, that's that's an important part of the history. I think that's probably unless you're already invested and knowledgeable about these that you don't realize is that all of these stop motion specials and also uh, the majority of the uh, the the regular hand uh, animated cell animated ones were. Uh, produced in Japan, all of the animation was done over there. Yeah, they're um, animes. Yeah, <laughs> technically yeah. yes. <laughs> We're an anime podcast. Just what I've always wanted. Oh shit! How did I fall into this trap? <laughs> uh, I think I only envisioned Rankin Bass as the an magic specials, like anime magic specials i think that's what yeah. i thought they were as a kid like i envisioned those you know big cool stop motion events that would come on tv once a year and i i, 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 I wasn't like pulling frosty and everything into that consideration now you've got me thinking of evangelion done in the animagic style i'm into it <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah no, I, I, I agree with you, Calvin, in that historically, I've always thought of the, the classic staple of stop motion ones that you see, the ones with Rudolph and, and such, and, um, you know, a couple of other ones that have a, a, a rotating cast of similar characters, too. There's a bit of consistency in some of the later ones. Uh, it's a cinematic universe. It yeah. really is. Yeah. I mean, literally at the end of one of these, they do tease like a, another tale that they're going to tell or have already told. So. Nick um, Frosty comes in and tells Rudolph he's just walked into a bigger world. <laughs> <laughs> They've already done the multiverse. <laughs> the animultiverse, animagic multiverse. I'm here yeah. to talk to you about the Claws Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that surprised me is that Murph called all of us at 3 a.m. last year and told us about this one that broke all the rules of what I thought these could be. And, um, uh, this was after changing his use, username to Cricket on the Murph. Um, yes. Murph came in and really shattered any illusion I had of Christmas quality and joy. Um, it's fitting because today is Krampus Knock, where uh, Krampus comes for the children and uh, beats them with sticks and drags them to the underworld <laughs> that we'd be discussing Cricket on the Hearth. Yeah. That's um. That's technically the uh, first, in this, or the first uh, directed by... Uh, Rankin and Bass, because mm -hmm. uh, Rudolph was not directed by them. Which seems like a core movie, like in my mind, as it, like a as a kid, mm -hmm. I fit it into that umbrella. Certainly. I mean, it a hundred percent is. It like it's very hard to talk about the uh, the entirety of the Rankin Bass films without kind of you know discussing Rudolph, but their involvement in it is lesser than in later ones. Not only just in terms of the lack of directing but uh the lack of writing or, or music credits as well because yeah. Reagan and bass uh both had contributions in a more creative part there as well uh jules bass was a uh, composer on uh, a lot of the songs he provided the the words not not a composer yeah, yeah but he, he provided the words for a lot of the musics for the you know, yeah the iconic uh songs and so many of the later ones but not the case with rudolph and uh as well as uh arthur rankin not being a, a writer on the film uh, a lot of these earlier ones are written by uh, Romeo Muller, 
uh, and, and Rudolph, you know, being no stranger there as well. But it was actually directed by Larry Romer. Uh, despite all that, it has all of the hallmarks and really sets the precedent and kicked off all of the subsequent Christmas films to come. Yeah. Uh, which, despite, which is, uh, despite being directed by Eric Romer's brother, uh, Rudolph's Larry. Is, yeah. <laughs> My night at Rudolph's. <laughs> yes. Hey, Eric. It's your cousin Larry. Larry <laughs> But yeah, you know you that think... new Christmas special you've been looking for? <laughs> That's wonderful. But yeah, uh, especially looking back at Rudolph and how much it kind of stands as one of the the, the best of all of those specials, it's mm. it's really surprising to see how. It, then in 1967, where Rankin and Bass decided to direct themselves with Cricket on the Hearth, how just <laughs> not good it is. So so much. It's so many things, and none of them are are good things. And it's 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 such an incredible whiplash of quality. Or if you self-identify with this movie, why? <laughs> it's um so like you know. When uh, DVDs became a thing, we got my family uh, transitioned all our Rankin and Bass VHSs to like DVD collections. And like the first collection they ever put out, it had like Rudolph Frosty, Santa Claus, uh, Little Drummer Boy, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which is not a Rankin and Bass special. And then this other one called Cricket on the Hearth, which never heard of. So I watched it in middle school and I didn't really have the way, the means to articulate that I was enjoying it, ar- like, ironically, but I knew with my heart that I had, like, found a treasure. <laughs> and at this point, I think I've seen Cricket on the Hearth maybe more than, like, the other, like, not-so-iconic specials. Like, I've seen Rudolph plenty of times, but, like, compared Cricket on the Hearth to, I don't know, Shiny New Year that we'll get to in episode two. I think I've seen cricket on the hearth more because I love springing it on people. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a good one to spring on people. Uh, you'll never catch it on a television broadcast. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm sure many more of us have, will have seen those more, you know, even those B tier ones more than something like this, even if we own the collection, but uh, yeah, there's definitely something alluring about its awfulness and just like kind of shockingly entertaining it's it's so cheap like you think of like the cheapest hanna-barbera animation it's cheaper than that Um, oh it is yeah i mean it sucks that you would never see it on tv because its only purpose seems to be like the lowest run like television special oh yeah well it's also like it's also really long surprisingly (laughs) yeah it's 50 minutes It is. And it's, most of that is like, like sort of well done musical numbers accompanied by like, like JPEGs of elephants tweening into frame. Uh, <laughs> the the animation is is ludicrously bad. Uh, watching again, there was like it really mismatched like skin tones on characters mm-hmm. that that stood out constantly. The faces feel very like alien and unemotive uh, which is which is interesting because this one is not a a stop motion animated one where where usually you do have more static mm-hmm. components like by no means are the animagic films like any kind of you know zenith of uh stop motion work you know they they're definitely flawed and that's part of their charm but 
I mean, it's even worse in this 2D film. <laughs> it's so, uh, like, astronaut. <laughs> the best way to describe Cricket on the Hearth is that all the characters look just a little bit stroked out. <laughs> yes. That's a very good description. <laughs> Uh, there's the, the the early scene again. That's like where because the the framing device. I, I guess it should be said that this is originally a Charles Dickens story, mm-hmm. uh, in in the kind of vein of a Christmas Carol, but they've it's and, uh, it it's Christmas Carol if Bob Cratchit was the main character and they cut out the supernatural element. Yes. Well, I mean they they have the supernatural element in terms of there being a you know sentient cricket yeah. which wasn't oh, well, the case. I'm referring to the I'm referring to the book the, the special has nothing to do with the book other than like some lifted elements the, the the I did actually look up the description the plot is effectively similar they've consolidated certain characters uh mm-hmm. which leads to some interesting revelations later on in the story but uh <laughs> yeah it's otherwise very like it, you don't get the same sense it's very bizarre I like the uh, the cricket can only talk in in words starting with B, so he's always like that blubbering Baba Booey, you know. It's like a yeah, nothing is of all the hearts in the world. This is the blinkingest, bluminous heart of them all. <laughs> he's voiced by Roddy McDowell, who would go on to be um, the star of the Planet of the Apes films. Uh, another franchise dear to my heart. I love Roddy McDowell, and he does not half-ass playing a cricket. <laughs> is he the only one engaged though uh well you also have uh mr the fourth collaborator the fourth unsung hero of Rankin bass mr paul freeze <laughs> uh the man of a thousand voices that get diluted down to two voices <laughs> uh paul freeze is in most of these um and he's got two voices. He's got big, sh- big evil guy and little shitty guy. <laughs> um, and in this, he plays little shitty crow. Um, <laughs> he gets executed. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the moment I knew that this was something special. And there was can very. I, can I describe that scene? Yes, please, please <laughs> do. The the, um, the the evil toy business owner in this uh, special ha- is trying to marry a uh, big blind Bertha. Um, but he's getting thwarted by, by the cricket. So he, he can't deal with the cricket. He hires his crow who then hires his own minions from a bar where a cat sings a musical number about fish and ships. And uh, a burlesque, a burlesque number, a, a burlesque number about fish and ships. I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, and then they kidnap the cricket and bring it to a sea captain that sells crickets in China. Um, and they're like, all right, now now pay us. And the captain says, oh, I've got your payment right here. Pulls out gun, gun sound effect heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was pretty shocking for, for this supposedly benign Christmas special to have cold-blooded murder in it like that. But that's that's one of the components that makes Cricket on the Hearth Outstanding. Let's say outstanding. Yeah. As uh, as Dickens said, it's the luckiest thing in the world to have a cricket on the hearth. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. Why would you want a cricket in your house? Let alone on your fireplace. It seems like the cricket would die. Also, crickets are very loud, if you're, if you're not aware. It would be yeah. very hard to sleep in that house. 
I think uh, my uh, favorite thing really is just the message to children in the film, which we, we can't quite breeze over. It's very crucial. It's integral. It's integral. <laughs> There's a musical number about how you have to smile through your tears. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. Frozen, Conceal, Don't Feel, right? That's what Ezra's <laughs> learned from Disney movies. That's what yeah. I've learned from Cricket on the Earth. It's just... I. Let me throw this out here because at this point I've seen this so many times that I, I'm I'm a little bit indoctrinated to it. <laughs> Do you think if Cricket on the Hearth was better animated that it would be a better movie? Like strictly just better animated? Might be more tolerable. Ah, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no because that's part of the appeal in, in just how like bad it, it, it kind of goes off in this very like Un, un, ununderstandable like direction where everything is so offbeat and bizarre that the, the terrible mm-hmm. animation is part of what makes it interesting like I thought if you cleaned it up and it made it look nice then like it might be less interesting it would just be like like narratively yeah. garbage <laughs> yeah no I think the like the animation and the narrative are the two biggest uh, problems, but I don't think the like the voice direction is bad. In fact, m- pretty much all of the Rankin Bass specials have pretty good voice acting. Um, Generally, they're, I'll, I'll say that they're all cheesy, but that's obviously like an intentional aspect of the direction. You know, it's yeah. it, it, it's definitely catering to to a certain kind of shtick, um, a certain appeal, and it, it it excels at that. And that's part of why they endure. And the ones that don't generally, or the ones that are more mundane, that's why they get cast by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing really to set this apart from, I mean, other animations. Uh, there's yeah. no unique property to the animation there. Uh, it's not that animated magic. It's pretty flat 2D. Like like you say, looks alien yeah. relative to the surfaces. So yeah. There's literally like some parts where like the cricket is just like it's it's very obviously just another layer like slapped on top instead like when he's sitting on a character's shoulder you can just see like it's just like like they, yeah. they put the cricket on a different plane. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's not integrated into an image at all. <laughs> so that's the starting point for the Rankin Bass Christmas specials. It goes it can only go up from here. <laughs> yeah. So they get their net um after Cricket on the Heart, they do another Animagic special, and that's um, one that's sort of put up there, like, originally with the Rudolph and Frosties, but has lost presence over time, and that's Little Drummer Boy. And I, I, I like Little Drummer Boy a lot. It's it's one I find uh, very special. I think I liked it as a kid. I think I, I think I enjoyed the Drummer Boy. I like the song. I always was drawn to that song. Yeah. I think Christmas it's mostly songs. I like I like this rendition of the song and and I, I really like the ending, like how that's all presented. It feels very magical. Mm-hmm. I, I had not seen The Little Drummer Board prior to now, despite its, oh, uh. its greater prevalence, uh, even airing on TV. It was not one that, um, you know, ever kind of came across my household. I think part of what kept me away from it was the more overt biblical ties to it. It, mm-hmm. it just seemed less appealing as a story. That's less what Christmas means to me. Again, like, like it's it's tie-in with the religious aspects of the holiday. I don't, that's not what I envision when I'm like, I want to watch Christmas special. I don't, I'm not interested in seeing the birth of baby Jesus necessarily. <laughs> but, well, uh, 
David, do you think maybe like the little drummer boy that you just have hatred for <laughs> humanity in your heart? Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a, an aspect that, that I think put me away. <laughs> that was that was definitely the big takeaway from it watching it. I was not prepared for just how absurdly callous the little drummer boy would be characterized. <laughs> yeah, well it's only it's only twenty five minutes, so they've got to get through the plot real quick. So it's like here's the little drummer boy, he hates humanity because his parents were murdered. Okay <laughs> uh, again explicit murder in these Christmas specials. It's a theme that exists in these first two films. Yeah. Um, and then he gets kidnapped by Ben Haramid of the Desert Players, um, <laughs> who is voiced very deliciously by... Uh, Jose Ferrer. Yeah, yeah Jose Ferrer. Um, who, again, is, is not half-assing his vocal performance. He's very fun. He's in it, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you have Paul Freese as all three kings. <laughs> <laughs> that was our revelation about Paul Freese last year. I think is that he's everyone in these he, movies. And some of these, I mean, he literally is. Yeah. He was he was considered a contemporary of Mel Blanc, so we'll throw that out there. It's just Rankin Bass only used like two, like three voices from him. And they also rewatching these is the first time I picked up. They have this spring sound effect that they use in almost every special. I can like think of it now. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a boing. Yeah, yeah, it's the sound of uh, like the the mail truck and Santa Claus coming to town rolling up, mm -hmm. or it's the sound for general chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the little drummer boy. It kind of goes by so fast that any any kind of issues with it are, are, are less moot again. Whereas cricket on the hearth is like it's it's an onslaught of bad. I just remember we we forgot to talk about the framing device in in Cricket on the Heart. Well, we still have to rank it later. Um, yeah, that, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll circle back to it then. But yeah, so for Little Drummer Boy, uh, it's it's quick and clean up, and this is where you see some of the animagic charm. You get the aesthetic here, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in Little Drummer Boy that is then prevalent throughout the other ones, and it's it's very nice still to to see. It's kind of half cooked here, though. It is. I mean, it, def uh, it definitely is. <laughs> it's like it's halfway there. Uh, and it uh, it's odd. No, he's he's kind of an annoying shit, too. I mean, like, you just give birth <laughs> to a kid and you have this little drummer come playing a song for you. And Jesus is like, uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's my favorite gift. Get the fuck away. Right? Jesus is like, this is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this part of the Bible where Jesus's first miracle is resurrecting a lamb. Yeah. <laughs> There, there's a lot. Again, it, the question is to how much these, because so many of these Christmas specials are just they took a classic Christmas song and they fleshed it out into like a 45 minute narrative. Well, it worked for Rudolph, and that's yeah. why they continue to do it. Yeah, this and one it, they might have it, the least meat to chew on around the story. I mean, because what is the Little Drummer Boy song like lyrically? If we were to try and make a story out of the lyrics, there, what are, yeah. what are we really pulling from? At least in the case of something like, you know, when, when they have some later ones, it's like some of those songs are like their whole narratives. It's like the, the, the yeah. script write, wrote itself there. Yeah. In the case of Little Drummer Boy, half of the lyrics are rup up a pum <laughs> I would have liked more rup up a pums in the movie, honestly. <laughs> Do you, uh, did, time for Murph trivia. Do you know who originally popularized the Little Drummer Boy as uh, a song? It's it's not Bing Crosby and David Bowie. I know that much. Which is the best version. I think we, <laughs> we agree. David and I must agree on that. 
I like that version, uh, but I, I prefer the one in the special. Um, it, the answer was the Von Trapp family singers. Of course. Oh, oh yes, the Sound of Music people. They, you know what? This could have used a little bit of Von Trappness to it. I think that's the other thing. It, again, it, just, it needs something. It, it yeah, it but also part of it. Minutes. I don't it know. begins with this odd framing device. Like it begins with narrations saying, "Like and then it went out that all the lands must be taxed." because <laughs> Augustus Caesar needs more money and that never comes into play again there, there is the Roman centurion a little later on that just kind of like careens out of nowhere and and kills the lamb that the, the, the lamb gets murdered Is that? yeah I'm not sure who's to blame there because it was an empty street <laughs> but also the kid had a donkey with him Yeah, I feel like you would have seen that uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But you know, Ro- Roman rule. You know, those guys. They didn't. <laughs> they, he was a pleb. Um, and, uh, Jesus said, "Taxation is theft," which I thought was a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> a little out of place. It's. Um, it's I, I didn't realize it's that you know that's that's libertarian Jesus, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and because of its short runtime, and you find this even in the longer Rankin Bass specials, is that it just ends, like mm-hmm. conflict resolved, no falling action. We've stated the moral. Get credits. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Maybe that's what it needs. A little more time in the conflict and, uh, yeah. and feeling the pressure of it. Because I never if feel only, the pressure. If only there was like a sequel to expand on <laughs> <laughs> And you included like some 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 plot shit about silver bells. I don't know. I I, I can't remember anything like that in the Rankin Bass filmography. Possibly next episode. Oh, in in the meantime, uh, the next one up is a, a switch back. Is, is it like a a lot of back and forth between the animagic and traditional animated ones? It seems like that's the pattern here. Uh. Yes. It's weird about... Uh, so we're going to Frosty next. Yes, Frosty to Snowman. Frosty Snowman. Who really only exists in 2D animation until his last appearance as a Rankin-Bass property. Right. Which is Christmas in July. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Frosty's kind of their most enduring character. Like, Frosty appears in more specials than Rudolph. That's or at surprising. Least he has more... Yeah, it's more sequels, especially non-Rankin-Bass sequels. Uh, you know, like the most recent one was like in 2007 with The Legend of Frosty the Snowman where he's voiced by Patrick Starr. <laughs> I remember these things. The, char- the character? like, or, or did they get his actor to... The character. Well, no, it's because the Patrick Starr's voice actor kind of sounds like the original Frosty. Right. <laughs> I, I read somewhere they did like a live-action one with John Goodman. Uh, you are thinking of the live-action uh, Year Without a Santa Claus. Oh, okay. Oh, I know I know. John Goodman also voiced Frosty in one of these as well at some oh, point. Oh, uh, yeah, but that was done by um, the Peanuts people. Okay. So they just, and that they just one's not, that took one's the character. That one's not actually a Rankin-Bass special. Like it's, right. Again, there's this weird uh, stuff about Rankin-Bass's copyright um, mm-hmm. because in the opening of Rudolph, they uh, display the copyright in Roman numerals, which they thought would be a, like a funny joke, but they screwed it up. So instead of saying 1960 or whatever, it says like 1695. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and technically that means it's legally binding. So the 
the public <laughs> domain on a lot of rank and fast stuff ran out which is why they're they can people can just pluck Rankin Bass iconography and use it for their own means. And a lot of it's on YouTube readily accessible. Mm -hmm. If you yeah. want to catch up with us, uh, a lot of it is out there on Vimeo, YouTube, where have you. I just, I just want to take a moment to note how stupid copyright law is. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Frosty is fun. Frosty is um, great. Frosty, Frosty is aided by a very strong visual aesthetic. Um, I learned recently that it, it was uh, storyboarded and all the character designs were done by one of the uh, original illustrators for Mad Magazine. And he wanted to get the sort of Christmas postcard look, which I think it captures very well. Yeah, I, I think of the cer certainly as I was going through, I had very little reservations returning to it. And I was like, this one is very pleasant. And as far as ones that are like, it's just the song. You just adapted yeah. the song. It does well, it very well. It's well, it's the... David. Do you remember what I asked you when we started uh, watching Frosty? <laughs> I said to you, "Are there any other songs in this other than Frosty the Snowman?" And you hedged your bets on yes. There, of course, there are other songs. <laughs> really, it's like a developing rendition of the song. It's not like it comes yeah. back the same way it was. Like like each uh, version is a, a verse of the song, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not a repetition necessarily because the song is developing at least. So there is yeah. movement there. There's there's like and, and it and it feels different each time because then you've got like the children singing it one time and then you've mm -hmm. got like Jimmy Durante singing it, you know, with his super gravelly voice sound like this. <laughs> I love Jimmy Durante's vocal performance in this because he it doesn't sound like he's he's reading the story to children. No. It's like <laughs> it's like he just walked into the bar and slammed his money down. It's like you'll never believe this shit I saw. <laughs> <laughs> A talking snowman. <laughs> yeah. And that that Jimmy Durante care like character. The caricature? Oh yeah. <laughs> It's brilliant. I like Frosty too because it has that Rankin Bass setup. I like where it is like there is the Durante like master ceremonies that's go lead mm -hmm. us through like a procession yeah. of Christmas Eve postcard events. Well, and that and was kind me. of the case again. Like like they really just followed a formula that was set with Rudolph. You mm -hmm. know because they had like Burl Ives as Sam the Snowman, who you know he sang the title song and he was a character in it, and you know he narrated essentially all of it and. So many more of them follow the same formula, and it just continues to work for whatever reason. Again, like, and you and you just get like this iconic, you know, nineteen fifties, you know, person who's you know probably enjoying their retirement and needs a couple more bucks. You hire them just to yeah. come in for an afternoon and, and you know record a couple of lines, and boom, there, there you got your you know your framing device with a name. So Super you get all efficient. the well, Yeah, yeah, and, and it still works. <laughs> I think this one hit me more on an emotional register than I was ready or willing for it to do. Um, in the middle of it, Ezra was like pulling on my sleeve. She's like, dad, I'm going to cry. And I looked over, she was already welling up as Frosty was depleted into a bucket of tears. Uh, yeah. She was doing the same. Uh, she too was becoming liquid and uh, it nearly got me crying too. Uh, so thanks yeah. Frosty for the uh, touching holiday sentiment that seems to last and is persevering through generations it still works for her and i uh, yeah i mean some of these other ones even the really good animated you know stop motion ones um, she's not really accustomed to that so uh, this one works mm -hmm. very well for her yeah well the animation holds up tremendously yeah um, i mean it looks nice it does it's it's very i like the 
the clean look of it as well but it's yeah it's especially again if you compare just back to going you know two years prior with cricket on the hearth in the same style and just how horrendous that is you know in in comparison it's nice because frosty is so white and he takes up so much of the screen that you have like like shades of like purple behind him and it it's just a nice like yeah he just has this great personality of like sort of a big fun toy um it's a little weird that his immediate first words after happy happy birthday are snowmans can't talk (laughs) (laughs) he has this like whole this whole more like crisis of i should not i should not exist yeah which is a little odd I have that it's, crisis every day. So. It's, it's it's very weird that his his very initial thoughts as a sentient being are already like like preformed consciousness of not only himself but the concept of him as well. <laughs> he's already power. facing his mortality. It's it's incredibly bad. well. He's kind of got to because he only has like three hours to live apparently until the the temperature just shoots up yeah they, they cut a hole in the ozone when it cuts that thermometer and it like immediately comes to 90 degrees yeah that's a quick rise <laughs> i mean but that's the nice thing as well is that the film manages to convey a, a, a wider sense of commentary on the dangers of climate change that's you know true. <laughs> better than adam frosty. mckay's don't look up for sure <laughs> Yeah, Frosty's Frosty's real cute, and it shows like um, like ones we'll get to like to uh, later in the list, which was the night before Christmas. And Little Drummer Boy shows that they can fit these sort of narratives into a twenty-five minute length. Uh, Frosty is one of those specials where if you like genuinely like think about any scene for longer than five minutes, then it doesn't really work out. Like, right. like the little girl gets on board with Frosty to come with him to the North Pole. Why? Yeah. yeah. I mean... She says and then he's like, oh, like... you're freezing to death. I, someone should have foresaw this. I don't, <laughs> I don't see why she goes with them either. Like, what's her utility once And then the solution there? is to hop off the train. <laughs> Presumably yeah, but in what... Alaska. <laughs> I mean, the other question is, where are they leaving from? <laughs> well, that's the thing: is a train that just goes north to the North Pole. They they must live right below it. So yeah, it's one of those things where the North Pole in these is always kind of this very nebulous location that is connected to where wherever you want it to be in in the world. Like wherever the story is set, is it, it you can somehow access the North Pole through whatever well, means. Ezra said to me that the North Pole is on the bottom of the Earth and it doesn't matter because the Earth rotates. So, um, I believe it. Uh, Sounds like good logic. Yeah, Yeah. you know what? I see why she thought that. That it could. (laughs) She's like, anywhere could be the bottom of the Earth because the Earth's always spinning. I'm like, okay, I I see where you're going at least. It's it's spinning on a different axis than that, but yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) I like her thought process, though. You know, she's getting creative. She's challenging the, the status quo, and that's what you want to see out of a kid. Then she said uh, she knows that because there is flat. No, oh, no, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> I don't know where she got that from. It must be her mom. <laughs> you, might, you might want to look at what those schools are teaching. <laughs> I mean, Frosty is literally a globe head. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a big globe head. I, I like I like Frosty. As far as uh, I, for, all their creations go, I like his aesthetic. For me, it's the benchmark of quality for these Rankin Bass specials. I'm like, this is 
the the right like like a good amount of entertainment for the material you've got to work with here like you got a song and you got a story out of it and it's entertaining and it's had its artistic merit and i enjoy it that's that's what i need these to be It'll be like our defining mark when we go to rank them uh, between specials of like which one's up here and that, you know, what, what one's lower. Yeah. Uh, we is, can put them, is it better them, or worse frosty. than Frosty? Does yeah. it, does it meet the Frosty requirement? Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, so the next one, are we, I'm assuming exceeds that benchmark because the next one is Santa Claus is coming to town. Hell yeah, it does. Yeah. It really yeah. comes to town. This is, I think, one of their best, and you see it. This is this is one of the ones where where people, when they think about the Rankin Bass specials, this is the one of the ones they're thinking about. It's you know the the origin story of Santa, which uh, you know, and, and through the Animagic style, in the year sixteen XX, or <laughs> some something like that. But also like it's, it's also a copyright thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and, and this is where you start getting the more I iconic voice talent involved here. This is Mickey Runa, uh, Mickey Rooney Mickey. voicings. <laughs> Rooney Mara. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Rooney voicing Santa Claus, uh, which is a role they will reprise in several of the later specials. And uh, yeah. of, of course, uh, for the narrator this time, they got Fred Astaire. And damn, does that puppet look remarkably like Fred Astaire? Really good puppet. <laughs> Yeah. This um, one, this one brings me so much joy, and of any Christmas movie existent, this one gives me that nostalgia of what Christmas television programming should be and how it could be done. Mm -hmm. Like this is everything I needed back then and still today. I love it. Um, I don't have too many formal complaints. I love all the creativity they put into these characters. Uh, for me, it's the side characters that really do it. It's Topper the Penguin and. Burgermeister, Meister Burger, and uh, the Winter Warlock—they really rounded mm -hmm. out for me. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. those are the things I love most about these is that when the they managed to take the the simple structure of the song or the Christmas legends or whatever, and they build their own mythos off of them, and that becomes the interesting aspect of the Rankin Bass world that really cements itself in in my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. So when when they do create all these interesting characters, like you know, and and their own mythos and uh, you know legacy and such, uh, you know the the characteristics of like the Winter Warlock and this origin story of Santa that is completely their own, uh, while still adhering to the the principles and understanding. Like I I just love the original idea of like they they decided to think of the way he got his red suit, which was this family of elves that he ended up being adopted by, who just you know that was their attire. Was like oh, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. The family of elves all voiced by Paul Fries. Say <laughs> for Tanta Kringle. Yeah. I like um, it. I I like the um idea that before he had uh the reindeer that Santa had a helper penguin too. That's beautiful to me. Yeah. Well it's just like a fun premise because if you like, I don't know, asked a kid why why Santa does what he does, I don't I think you would ask many kids before you got to the answer he was an outlaw. <laughs> that's i i do love that idea like this uh, the idea of the the first you know the establishment of the christmas traditions of like oh why why do people hang up their stockings it's because santa was the fuzz is in <laughs> yeah because I, the, yeah. the police were taking away all the toys so santa had to 
break into people's houses and hide <laughs> hide the presents in the in the stockings that were hanging by the fire. <laughs> I like Solemn Town too. I like how gray it is. I like yeah. the gray expression of the children. Yeah, they all look emaciated. Good good sad. art direction. And, and and then when Santa comes in, he's like this pop of color. Yeah, right, he's super bright, bright orange hair. Yeah. Uh, and and Mickey Rooney just kind of kills the role. He's is so good embodying like especially a young santa we don't really see a lot of young santas um mm-hmm. i don't think mickey rooney can sing all that well <laughs> that's okay though i like i like the songs though still like even if he's a little rough at them this one has some of the more memorable original songs uh in it not not just like yeah and again they're they're very simplistic songs always like nobody is arguing about the the musical you they're- know complexity of yeah, they're like these. instructions for how to walk yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, it's got this great peppiness to this and that's mainly because uh jules bass he worked in advertising beforehand he wrote commercial jingles makes a lot of um, sense yeah that which sounds explains about right. why all these songs have tremendously great hooks but both he and rankin bass uh sorry both he and arthur rankin <laughs> were, were uh, huge fans of Broadway, so they they knew how to structure a musical. And I'm honestly surprised not a lot of Rankin Bass or any Rankin Bass specials have never been like attempted to adapt into like a Broadway setting because all the pieces just, are there. Sure, but like again, the aesthetic is so much one of the primary appeals of it. Like, how do you go about recreating on stage? Maybe if you had everyone in like big like like bulky costumes on the stage yeah i could see that style working like like there's these very broadway adapt stupider see broadway adapt what i've seen broadway adapt stupider oh sure (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) there's a there's a thing too with the music i love how it starts with like the kringle lady it's not miss claus yet right it's just the old old elder lady that lives there oh like singing kringle yeah yeah and she's singing about like the toy maker to the king, and then I love the inversion there with the uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger, how he flips the song yeah. and voice by Paul Fries. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just very very well done. Mm-hmm. And of course, then you've got uh, Fred Astaire singing the the title song in both the opening and closing credits He's of so it. Great, always, always. Uh, there, we've had criminally few opportunities for me to talk about how wonderful Fred Astaire is on the podcast. So I'm glad to at least do it here, but yeah, possibly. <laughs> if, only we were counting, uh, if only we were counting Peter Cottontail, then you could talk about Danny Kay. Yeah. He, well, well, they also had a, a later special with Fred Astaire uh, doing the Easter, the Easter bunnies coming to town. So yes, I'm sure these can come up in these next I, uh, episodes. May, maybe we'll come back and do an Easter one for these. two. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I think this is, yeah, one of their most exemplary in terms of, you know, you've got the characteristic animation here, you've got the very colorful cast, you know, the humorous uh, story, and again, the invention, and the the, the childlike interest of it as well. Again, I think perhaps an uh, easily overlooked element of the success of Santa Claus is coming to town is the presence yeah. of the, the children in the in the story and the, the back and forth they have with the narrator uh, in terms of asking more about and learning more about the origin of Santa and you know yeah, the... and I think it just has especially in the later half it's got a great atmosphere like the scene where um where uh Chris and Jessica are getting married and it like cuts over to the winter warlock who's been like depowered and he's like I just a little bit of magic left and he lights up the Christmas tree that's like that gives me chills 
Mm-hmm. It's got it's got great weight to it. Mm-hmm. Winter Warlock I, just is a weighty, cool character too. Yeah, I love his look. Uh, and I love how they design him. He he's a forebearer of some other elements later, which is like this element of menace that they have in antagonists throughout some of the specials, which is really great. Mm-hmm. He's like a good, like you know, powerful, like wicked antagonist. In, for for just like a little bit, like not as much as yeah. a, an, an omnipresent one as in some of the later ones, but because uh, obviously he gets his chili heart, you know, melted by the mm. the gift of a toy, a chattering. <laughs> yeah, and I think Santa Claus coming down has like a good message that it ends on, saying that you know it's not like yeah Santa's a cool dude, but we should all be cool dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Although it, it does irk me a little that in like that montage of people that hates Christmas one is like a frontline Black Friday worker <laughs> right yeah and that's wrong for a retail worker yeah, and, yeah I, I mean I sympathize with that person more than the message I'll be yeah. honest having done a, a few rounds of holiday retail myself uh, they, they, they've earned like, their, their Grinchness yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think they're the problem with Christmas at all so. <laughs> Well, I think there's one special left. Well, can I call attention to oh. my favorite bit of, well, ironic favorite bit of Santa Claus is coming to town? Uh, absolutely, it's let's like hear the, it. The framing device, as you mentioned, is that back and forth of Fred Astaire answering questions about why Santa is the way he is. And then they get to the uh, the question of why does he have a beard? <laughs> and the answer is, is so he doesn't match his wanted post. Right, right. And then a little kid <laughs> voice chimes in and says, I knew it. I knew it. That's why he has a beard. He knew it. <laughs> uh, it's great. It is It is funny because, again, like uh, having him like right next to it. I think it's also like still a color picture, which I don't know why how they would get in this 1600 setting exactly. But... <laughs> It, it, it's like, and it looks exactly like him. He just, but he just has like the fluffy yeah. beard. It's not even like a full like face frontal beard too. It's just like the the bottom part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's a it's a great origin story for for Santa. You know, uh, probably one of the the better ones anyway. Uh, and and I like the again it's building on this mythology of these timeless you know uh, holiday characters that the later ones will continue to do or you know the better ones. Then it does well. that thing at the end. It's like Rudolph will be back, like a Marvel movie or some shit, right? Like, <laughs> I, and well, they even have a team up. You know, I mean, really, it really is yeah. like a Marvel movie. It honestly, it's kind of like the first real <laughs> realization of that concept. Mm-hmm. And. And maybe the modern Marvel movies need to take more cues from the likes of Frosty and Rudolph. We'd all be better off. Instead, they're taking cues from, uh, what's the next one called? Uh, Twas the, the Night Christmas. Christmas. The, the most forgettable Christmas movie I've ever uh, seen. It, it I, really, I, mean, it I left I, my mind the second <laughs> I was done. <laughs> it, uh, oh my god, it 100% did. Um I, I, I think it. Plus the Night Before Christmas is real charming and it's over so fast. Do you? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I watched this for the first time only a couple nights ago and I, I'm i struggling to remember anything. Literally like anything. So, I think so it was they, the night before Christmas. I, that probably took place there was, then. There was a family and there was a, a mice family that looked exactly like that family. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember, uh, and I remember the most terrifying depiction of Santa I think I've seen. <laughs> what was up with that design? Like it he, was a little goblin Santa. He looked yeah. like a bugbear. 
He had a big, he had a big like bulbous nose that was like bright red, yeah. and that same shade of red was also the red they had on his protruding cheeks. Yeah, so is a lush. So, so Which there's like this this these, behavior in this special, to be honest. <laughs> there's these three like giant like like protrusions from his face that are bright red, and they don't look human. He looks like an alien, yeah. and it's and it's. And it's the only thing now I remember about Twas the Night Before Christmas. <laughs> so the basic premise of Twas the Night Before Christmas is in the uh, town of Junctionville. There's this little know-it-all mouse child who writes a letter to Santa saying like, hey, Santa, you're not real. Signed all of us in Junctionville. And Santa, with his infinite wisdom, says, well, I buy that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to Junctionville this year. <laughs> And, and chaos in the streets because of this mouse's letter. Uh, so Joel Gray, who is a clockmaker, decides to make a big clock that at midnight on Christmas will play a song uh, stroking Santa's ego so he will swing by and actually deliver presents to the people of Junctionville. You got so much more out of it than I did. I, I wish, yeah, I wish this was half as entertaining as that description was. <laughs> I just love the prim- premise of scanning a town. It sounds it sounds like a, a brilliant premise, which makes me think, what was it that I watched then? Because I don't recall that happening. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it literally just like it felt like it bounced right off of me. It was so inert, and I don't know if that's like, I, I, but I do remember it being like mildly pleasant. Like I wasn't offended by it. It's and, mildly like, it had, inoffensive. It it had it had some nice aesthetic and, and vibes to it i think you know <laughs> like it's you can throw it one, on in the background while you're wrapping presents and you'll be satisfied really catchy song and that's it, is it is it catchy people. if i can't remember it at all that's the yeah. question <laughs> you trip and i'll dry we'll do what's necessary and i remember that part because the compression on the s when he hits it is super loud so it's like he'll will do what's necessary <laughs> even a miracle needs a hand <laughs> i'm i'm glad at least that you get uh, more out of this than it seems like me and Calvin did. Total blank for me. I got yeah, nothing. Well, uh, that's, that's I've how also I've seen it like a few times, so I have the ability to remember it. So, so you have to indoctrinate yourself with it, is what you're saying. It's like you, you got to really like force expose you to it because again, it's, it's if, not it's not leaving a big impression of the, from one viewing. What else is fandom? <laughs> it's it's a, that's a fair point, but but sadly, I think because of its inertness it's going to rank lower for us on this this ranking that we're it's about like to commence. <laughs> in terms of like inoffensiveness of like rank and bass specials i think it's like the metric right up there with frosty in terms of quality yeah like uh no <laughs> <laughs> well no no you i mean, mean like the I, low bar like the opposite yeah, the of frosty okay. okay okay like so so those, those are the that's the that's the spread we got that's there your, so that's your overton window gotcha okay. so 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 frosty <laughs> is is high and inoffensive like and and towards the night is like low if you view if you view like your numeric rankings as like a like a, a u graph a bell mm-hmm. curve where positive rankings are like actual enjoyment and the negative rankings <laughs> are ironic enjoyment Twas the night before Christmas, like, hits a solid zero. Okay. 
I think that's I a think solid defense true. of this okay. movie. <laughs> there, there are very few movies where I feel so unaffected by them that I just have like almost nothing to say at yes. all. I, mean, I had like I had like two things, and Calvin didn't even have any. I have nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, uh, I think we should get into the rankings. It's time to rank some kaiju. Um, no, uh, rank some monsters. Christmas. <laughs> Rankin, so. Rankin, and Bass. So, Let's so. Go. Let, let me just start out. Let's start like this, because I think here's the thing we have to decide off the bat. Does Cricket get a boost because it's entertaining and memorable, or do we just have to put it at the bottom? I... We we have things that we think about Cricket. It was the night about yeah. before Christmas. I don't have, I think, nothing of it. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that worse? <laughs> Cricket's 50 minutes. Night Before Christmas is 25. This is this is yes. a good note. This is important. And but to be fair to Cricket, it's a fast fifty minutes. <laughs> it does go by. But ah, see here, I was about to say I didn't find anything objectively ugly uh, in in Twas Night Before Christmas, but that's just not true. That was my whole point about the film is that that Santa Claus is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. That's all you there's took away line, from it was it was ugly. There's the line in the poem where it's like Santa, like a shake of his head. I knew I had nothing to dread, which has always <laughs> been a weird line in the poem. But for this Santa, it makes sense. Yeah, you don't know he may come at you like on all fours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. P- part of me tells is, is saying that I know cricket is probably one of the worst made things, like just from a quality standpoint. Like, how did this pass any kind of check? But I've watched it twice now, and I don't, you know, and I and I would consider a third watch for certain. Whereas with Twas the Night, like, I can't see like desiring to return to it. No, I don't know why I would. Um, whereas I think I think Cricket, you launch on people because you think it's funny. Um, there's something I, oh, about yeah. it. I I am very much the ad, an advocate for so bad it's good. You know, I think I think. The poorness of something can raise its overall quality to to being above, you know, the mundane ones. Even if, like, on a more objective level, there's less issues with them. <laughs> I think, I think Cricket very... has a better soundtrack. Okay. You, you know, you're right. That that opening theme, that Cricket on the Hearth song, it is great. I do like the Cricket on the Hearth theme. I like the one about the crying children. I I think I think what we're saying is that we're going to put cricket above Twas the Night Before Christmas. Confusing I'm, I'm messages to children in holiday films, I think, is more important than not remembering a movie. Great. Okay. All right. I, I don't think it's our bottom. Oh, I don't okay, think so. Where's Where's Drummer Boy? Does Drummer Boy beat um, out Cricket? It's slower uh, than Cricket because I I have less that I even think about it than <laughs> the. I mean, this little boy drumming for Jesus, who gives a shit? I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't give a fuck. Can we put that on the box? <laughs> <laughs> who gives a fuck? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have so your to. Your lamb died. Lambs die every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just lamb for slaughter. I'm. Calvin, I'm gonna have to digress and say that that Little Drummer Boy is in fact better than Cricket on the Hearth. The the irony scale doesn't go quite that far. There are enjoyable things, and again, it's like you know, it's got the animagic appeal to it, and that's gonna 
that's going to go a long way for even these mediocre ones. And there's, and, and Dr Little Drummer Boy still has some of the, the ludicrous elements that make Cricket compelling, like the Drummer Boy just outright hating all of humanity, like for, you know. I think, <laughs> I think Drummer Boy wins out because it feels more sincere. Do I want that sincerity? Is this where I want sincerity <laughs> to come from? Um, I think I think what helps it along is that it is such a good version of the song. Um, I think that that is what works in Drummer Boy's favor is that it's listenable, and um, I, I'd go out of my way to watch it at some point again uh, I, I, for non-ironic reasons. I do think some of the animation is also noteworthy as well. Like the articulation on the camel is pretty impressive. <laughs> Yeah. So I I think it becomes cursed spider camel. Yeah, <laughs> I I think little drummer boy is a good like middle of the road okay. entry. You know, like where where frosty is our bar for like this is minimal and enjoyment yeah. like like execution of this all. Little drummer boy is like like a good middle thing here. Like like this is like the perfect middle bar of like yeah it's it's good but also not and again like. like but also it's, it's over and done. Like, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd be totally fine doing Drummer Boy above Cricket, but below Frosty. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think that's, that's where our move. I think that's where our next selection is because yeah, I was going to say Frosty would be too because I think I think we're pretty unanimous in saying Santa Claus is coming to town is probably is is at the top here. It out it out yeah. shines Frosty. Think, Just you know, this first episode has mostly been establishing what's below the bar of quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a moment watching Frosty, though, where I thought I really emotionally resonated with it and that I'm going to argue it over a bunch of other movies that are uh, still coming. Yeah. I think I thought it was also going to be above uh, coming to town until I watched it with Ezra and you're, also you're, you're had the same gonna... personal response to it. I'm glad you've decided not to Pacific Rim this one. No, um, I'm going <laughs> Pacific Rim later, though, when I decide that Frosty is better than uh, a whole onslaught of these Ranking best specials that are coming. You, you know, the the sad thing is, is that, that. Yeah, uh, it's it's not untrue from from my memory here. <laughs> see, the great thing about doing a ranking of Rankin Bass is um I don't think anyone's gonna call us out for having a hot <laughs> Well well, maybe about my like Jesus nativity uh, thing. Maybe yeah. someone will get up in arms. Your your nativity hativity. <laughs> I, I just recommend they go watch Benedetta. That was a good movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sure that's the the kind of wholesome Christian content that has been severely lacking in our in our modern movies lately. I'll say. <laughs> they fashion a dildo out of a Virgin Mary doll. Did, did you know? Oh man, it's all the awesome. drummer boy has is his drumsticks. I know. <laughs> The ox and lamb kept time. <laughs> oh, wait, that seems like a good ranking for this for this first entry. So we've got. Wait, where are we putting Benedetta? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get I'll get back to you next week after okay. I after I've seen it. See how it fits into our ranking bass ranking here. <laughs> uh, well, we can't do Benedetta because that was also uh, directed by Larry Romer. Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so next time we're coming with another the next six, I believe. Next week we'll be hitting you with. Uh, so, if you want to follow along with us, you oh, can yeah. check out 
uh, Year Without a Santa Claus, The First Christmas, Frosty's Winter Wonderland, Rudolph's Shiny New Year, and Little Drummer Boy Part 2. Um, and Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. Oh, did I not count six? You're right. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, my counting skills are coughed. Thank you. Thank you for, for this, is, hey, this is why you're here. That's a plot point that Nestor is easily forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that just fitting then? <laughs> Tune in for the next episode of the Rankin Bass Book Club. <laughs> All right, I think that's a good spot to stop. Oh, I guess I, I got to do my sign-off, don't I? Are you still doing sign-offs? <sighs> I don't know in this new wild format of yours. It is. It's different. I don't know. I've still never rewritten this. I was supposed to, you know, the, the whole month off was supposed to be so we could prep <laughs> a bit for this new format so we get a better idea of things. And here we are just yeah. running blind. We're just doing it. I think it's fun, though. I think it, it was a fun, chaotic energy here. Yeah, yeah. Chaotic, chaotic energy is good. If you want more chaotic energy, make sure to check out the various other podcasts of the Twin Geeks Network, which would be, let's see, there's the Ranking the Monsters show. Mm -hmm. There's the Daydream cast with all of their video game content. There's, I'm thinking of Spoiling Things, which is the more the, the current, the contemporary movie reviews with Stephen and Vaughn. There's the music one that Calvin hosts that has three a letters, five mics, yeah. three letters, five mics. I see. I was getting five letters, six yeah, yeah. mics or something. Yeah. And do we have one any other? One boy. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we have any other podcasts we're looking to launch yet, but maybe. Uh, yes. Uh, there's one coming. Um, okay. News okay. on there... that within a week, maybe. So. Yeah. Keep, keep an eye out for all those news and, uh, other podcasts coming at thetwingeeks.com and where we also keep all of our reviews and retrospectives on everything classic and contemporary cinema. Uh, and with that, thank you for listening to our podcast. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening. Mine out of all the voices.